Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davison. I am your host and it is Sunday the 2nd of April in the year 2023. And wherever you are around the world, around Australia, or even in the great People's Republic of Victoria, I hope you're having a wonderful day, afternoon, evening or night, because let me tell you folks, it is a brand new day here in Victoria. The federal seat of Aston, the once prized blue ribbon liberal safe seat in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne has fallen to Labor. That's right, Mary Doyle, feminist, unionist, proud poser with socialist Billy Bragg and quite the karaoke singer, my friend and former comrade at the ACTU, Mary Doyle has won the seat of Aston for the Labor Party. For the first time in over a hundred years, a government, a federal government, has won a seat at a by-election from the opposition. Not just any seat, not a marginal seat, but a safe seat. A seat that was held by Alan Tudge, architect, implementer of the great terror that was robo-debt, that shameful chapter in Australia's history. Alan Tudge, of course, contested the general election, lost 10 points off the margin in Aston to the very same Mary Doyle, who is now the federal member for Aston, and then within six months, up and quit. Of course he quit. He was a scandal-plagued individual a man whose life had fallen apart because of his own actions and the consequences of those actions, who stood in Parliament and teared up about the pressure of being Alan Tudge, a pressure that came about entirely because of his own actions and his own decisions. Alan Tudge, you will not be missed. We welcome Mary Doyle now to the national stage, the federal member for Aston. Mary Doyle, of course, is from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, a single mum raising her kids, a niece participating in her local community. And if you haven't seen Mary Doyle's acceptance speech yet, I will post some still images with this episode. You know who Mary Doyle represents? Mary Doyle represents that community. Roshina Campbell was the Liberal candidate. Roshina Campbell, of course, married to James Campbell, political editor for the Herald Sun, and frequent contributor to the ABC program Insiders, funnily enough. Well, it would appear that the Campbell family had to make the long journey home to Brunswick, which is where they live, uh, from the federal seat of Aston last night, having to concede. And look, Rashina Campbell gave an eloquent speech about why it's so important that the Liberal Party exists. Of course, it didn't really touch on any of the reasons why the Liberal Party was formed or, in fact, any of the policy positions that the Liberal Party has now. And it was interesting to watch last night And this morning, political commentators continually talk about how Roshina Campbell is exactly the kind of candidate that the Liberals need in a seat like Aston. And yet, 
there was a 6.5% swing to Labor. Mary Doyle is ahead of Roshanna Campbell on primary votes across the seat and in 16 of the six booths. These are damning numbers. Roshanna Campbell does not represent the people of Aston, does not represent, it would appear, a set of liberal values that people connect with. And why is that? Well, let me tell you. Because Roshina Campbell has actively campaigned against the extension of early childhood education to all families, while at the same time accepting ratepayer subsidies for her own childcare. She is anti-worker. She has held positions that the Liberal Party holds, which fundamentally do not resonate with the Australian public. She has tried to blame the cost of living crisis, a crisis which has been built up over a decade of economic mismanagement by the Liberal government, of which Peter Dutton was a senior minister, that drove down wages, that destroyed local supply chains. She continued to espouse nonsense ideological positions and suggested somehow or another that the Reserve Bank governor, who was appointed by the Morrison government, was acting at the behest of the Albanese Labor government in raising interest rates. These are all nonsense ideas. These are not based in any form of reality. Is Rashina Campbell eloquent? Yes, of course. She's a barrister. She is a well-to-do barrister who lives in a multi-million dollar home with her equally well-to-do husband. She is exactly the same as every Liberal candidate that has been put forward for supposedly safe Liberal seats since I was born. The difference, the difference that the media commentators are picking up on is that Rashina Campbell is a woman, not a man, and is a Hindu, not a Protestant. That's really it. That's, that's really it. And quite frankly, it's a bit gross. As a very prominent woman of colour pointed out on Twitter, you can't simply put up a quote-unquote multicultural candidate and claim to be the party of multiculturalism when you've spent the last 30 years, 30 years attacking multicultural policies and different cultural communities. Peter Dutton was a minister who wanted border force officers in militarised uniforms stopping people in the streets of Melbourne and asking for their ID papers. In the nearby seat of La Trobe, you have an MP who actively, actively suggested that African gangs were roving around the streets of Melbourne, making it unsafe to go out at night. Peter Dutton has continually rattled the sabre when it comes to China, our largest trading partner, and one of the largest sources of permanent migrants to this country anywhere in the world. So Roshanna Campbell will not have to find tenants for her home in Brunswick. And Mary Doyle 
who is from the eastern suburbs, now will be representing the people of Aston. It is a phenomenal outcome, a phenomenal outcome. And let's talk about some of the policies that have driven this result. Because fundamentally, a once-in-a-hundred-year outcome, a record-breaking outcome, doesn't happen just because of what happens on the day. Yes, there will be a slight decrease in turnout, but that usually benefits the Liberal Party. What we have seen in the last six months is a Labor government that is committed to delivering on the agenda that it took to the election, raising wages, reducing the cost of prescriptions, reducing the cost of early childhood education, boosting Australian manufacturing, taking real action on climate change that doesn't destroy communities, closing the gender pay gap, creating more opportunities for women, realigning the governance of Australia's institutions so they reflect Australia's values, not just being stacked with Liberal Party apparatchiks, having a referendum to enshrine a voice to Parliament and recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's First Nations people. We are laggards on this, people. I cannot stress enough how important it is to vote yes, because Australia, despite having the oldest continuous civilization on Earth here on this continent, does not recognise that civilization as part of our nation, unlike in other developed countries around the world where colonialism took place We simply have not made that recognition happen, but we can. We can, and this year we should. I hope you will join me in voting yes. We've talked about it before. We'll continue to talk about it. It's so very, very important. So what is Peter Dutton's response? Well, he was on Insiders this morning. He gave a speech last night. And, of course, all of those policy issues that I just mentioned are all things that Peter Dutton has opposed or in some cases, tried to slow walk. And I use the voice referendum as an example of slow walking. The rest he has opposed. He's also opposed the housing fund, the affordable housing fund. Labor is, of course, committed to increasing the supply of housing, not just the price of housing which every policy that the Morrison government, of which Peter Dutton was a senior minister, every housing policy that the Morrison government put forward increased the price, but not the supply. So the Noalition has opposed the Labor government at every possible opportunity. It used a whole period of question time this week to start positioning itself to take a no position on the referendum, and this was raised on Insiders. This was raised on Insiders this morning, that they want to confuse the issue. And I'll give you the example. They asked a question about will the voice be required to to be consulted by the Reserve Bank of Australia? Will the Reserve Bank have to consult the voice when it comes to interest rates? Well, A simple Google search of 
Reserve Bank Consultation Program will actually tell you that the Reserve Bank has a regional and industry liaison consultation program, and that in the financial year 2018-19, they conducted 750 liaison meetings. They visited Tasmania, the Northern Territory, Ballarat, the Barossa Valley, Bunbury, Geelong, the Gold Coast, the Kimberley, Newcastle, Toowoomba, and Wollongong. In fact, I myself, in a former role, was consulted by the Reserve Bank of Australia. Now, they didn't listen to anything I had to say, of course, because my point was and continues to be, how does your model account for the power imbalance between workers and capital when you consider setting interest rates? When you think about wages and employment, how are you factoring in power imbalances? Of course, they don't factor those things in, and we now have the roller coaster ride of rate cuts, rate rises, inflation spikes, and profiteering spirals that we enjoy today. By the way, if you're not a member of your union, you absolutely need to be joining one because it's the union movement that continually raises the failure of the neoliberal economic model and the Reserve Bank and the Freebanites who run it. No one else will do that work. Join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, because let me tell you, the Reserve Bank has a consultation and liaison program. So the idea that them consulting with The Voice would somehow or another fundamentally change the way the RBA works is a nonsense. I don't know whether or not the RBA will consult with The Voice or not. Frankly, I, I don't really... I don't really have a view. I think it probably should, might be good, might be a good idea. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia are per capita among the lowest owners of their own homes. You know, that's not a good thing. That's a terrible thing. It's one of the reasons why we need a voice so that housing policy that impacts our First Nations people actually has some input from them. That would be good. But quite frankly, the idea that you would vote no to recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution because the RBA might decide to consult with them before they make their decisions on interest rates is a nonsense. It's a nonsense. It's designed to distract. It's designed to justify what is fundamentally an attempt to justify the unjustifiable the Liberal Party continues to engage in this phony war that it has been operating under since the fall of the Soviet Union, trying to find justifications for greed, for consolidation of power into the hands of the already powerful, for the transference of wealth from working people to billionaires and corporate executives, for punishing those who are already on the margins and the fringes of our society, those who are systemically discriminated against, those for whom our society was not constructed, whether they be trans or First Nations people or people with a disability or new migrants, somehow or another trying to pin all of the problems of our great Commonwealth on those people so that they, the Liberal Party, when in government, do not have to take responsibility for the fact that they drove down wages 
they allowed the profit price spiral to start to continue. They have undermined our sovereign capacity to build and make things here. They have driven young people out of affordable housing. They have made the wealthy wealthier. They have made the poor absolutely poorer and they have crushed the middle class. That's the legacy of the Morrison government. And everything they do now, everything Dutton and the leftovers are doing, is about justifying a continuation of that ideological framework. And it's why they're losing. It's why they're losing state governments. It's why they lost Aston. How does it get to this point, though? Well. Regular listeners to The Week on Wednesday will know that we here, myself and Van, and you listening at home, knew the day after the Albanese Labor government won the federal election in 2022, we knew why this had happened. Because the Liberal Party, the party of Menzies, was created for a very specific purpose. Before, before Menzies, before Menzies, in the late 40s and early 50s, created the Liberal Party, there was the Labor Party and there was a bunch of other parties. And the bunch of other parties would, from time to time, form government to keep the Labor Party out. And then Labor would come in and Labor would build things and reform things and set our Commonwealth to rights. Curtin and Chifley basically established the foundations for the great middle-class expansion that Menzies oversaw during his period as Australia's longest-ever-serving Prime Minister so far. Menzies built the Liberal Party as a coalition of the willing to oppose the existential threat of Sovietism and the internal threat of working people dominating in a democracy. Because, of course, working people far outnumber corporate executives and the holders of large amounts of capital. And in a democracy, you would expect then that working people would elect governments that operate in their interests. So what Menzies was clever enough to do was to bring together conservatives who fundamentally did not want to give up the levers of power with social liberals, who fundamentally did not want the imposition of a Unitarian-style Soviet arrangement, a monocultural type of society. He was very successful at that. He was asked, why did you call it the Liberal Party, not the Conservative Party. And he said, because Conservatives will vote for us anyway, it's the smaller Liberals we have to get on board. And he was right. Of course he was right. The record shows that during the period of the Soviet Union's existence, the Liberal Party was highly successful. Highly successful, electorally. And in fact, Menzies was so successful that he was able to put out flyers claiming to support unions. He continued many of the policies of the Curtin-Chifley era. Why? Because at the end of the day, 
They wanted to continue to have their hands on the levers of power, keep out the communists, and basically keep their noses out of people's private business. Well, the Soviet Union fell in 1991, a long time ago. And people will say, but Ben, we had John Howard. John Howard served a long time too. And yes, he did. And in the chaos of an imperial collapse, which is what the Soviet Empire was, there is always uncertainty about what's going to come next. And John Howard, John Howard was very good at presenting as a safe pair of hands. John Howard presented to the Australian people that the next threat after the Soviet Union was going to be from Asia, and then it was going to be from Islam. Now, this was an inherently racist positioning of the Liberal Party. There's no two ways about it. And people can say that's not true. People can point to whatever they want to point to. But the rhetoric, the reality, even the renaming of the day against racism to Harmony Day by John Howard was all about repositioning the Liberal Party as the party to deal with the new existential threat. Of course, what we have learned over history is that that existential threat was not real. That in actual fact, the big existential threat of our times is climate change. And by the time John Howard realised it, He'd sent Australia off to fight in two wars. He had demonised whole communities and he had created within the Liberal Party a active, racist, ultra-conservative rump that was determined that that form of politics would be the basis of the Liberal Party. Even though in 2007, far too late in the day, he started to recognise the existential threat was actually climate change, not, not new communities in Australia, not different religions, but actually climate change, rising sea levels, bushfires, poor air quality, all the things that we know have a negative impact on us. But the damage had been done. So the Liberal Party was very, very conservative by the time John Howard left. Now, Labor took power, and you would think that in 2007, Labor was going to be in power for a long time. There are many, many factors that I'm not going to get into now about why Labor fell apart. But it's interesting that so many of the current Labor front bench were ministers during that 2007 to 2013 period, and they stayed on. And they have been re-elected. And the Albanese Labor government has correctly identified that the existential threat is climate change. The internal threat is the inequality between wage earners and the holders of capital, that the problems in our policies are around how we improve 
the opportunities for people early in life through housing, through early childhood education, through the participation of women in the workplace and in society more broadly, how we engage with each other across cultural divides, how we get the best of all possible worlds and make a commonwealth from it. These are challenges. These do require policy and active management, but they can be overcome. We can raise wages, improve productivity without simply making people work more hours. We can use technology better. And in fact, that's what Labor not only campaigned on, but has been governing on ever since it got elected. And in fact, the last sitting fortnight made very, very clear that Labor is doing what it said it would do. It is supporting a wage increase for Australia's lowest paid workers in the minimum wage case. It has put in place a manufacturing fund to improve local supply chains to make us less reliant and less susceptible to the shocks in global markets. It has put in place a safeguard mechanism which will limit emissions and act on climate change. It has passed a bill to close the gender pay gap. It has passed a bill to recognise Indigenous Australians in the Constitution as part of the voice referendum. These are all steps that Labor is taking. They're all steps that Peter Dutton has opposed. Now, why would he oppose them? Well, because the Liberals still believe, still believe that the existential threat is not climate change, but is, in this case now, China. Dutton has held this view for a long time. When he was a minister, he prosecuted this notion that China, our largest trading partner, the source of many of our permanent migrants, is somehow or another the greatest threat to the Australian way of life. Not bushfires, not floods, not decreasing air quality, but China. Now, in Aston, this played out very poorly, a 6.5% swing against the Liberal Party. Labor leading on primary votes across the whole seat and in the majority of booths as well. There is no evidence that supports Peter Dutton's view. Just fear. Just fear. They look different. They sound different. They eat different. They worship different. They must be a threat. The problem for Peter Dutton is that nobody believes that anymore. Not that nobody, that's not right. That only a very vocal minority believe that. In the last two weeks in Victoria, we've seen Liberal MPs stand with Nazis and TERFs to decry the rights of trans people. We've also seen a rally of thousands of people come out in support of the trans community. Now, you would think that a party that supposedly stands for individual freedom would actually stand with the trans community, would actually say government has no role in the bedrooms of Australia or the bathrooms of Australia or in the closets of Australia. But that's not 
where the Liberal Party is at. The Liberal Party is a party that has become captured by the conservative part of that Menzian marriage. It is dominated by it. The LNP in Queensland is not a metropolitan party. Queensland itself is a state with a much more decentralised population. Regional centres play a much larger part in the politics of Queensland than they do in other parts of the country. In every other state and territory, the majority of people live in the capital city. That's not true in Queensland. And Peter Dutton's base, himself a Queenslander, comes from Queensland, the one state where the Liberals, under the banner of the LNP, still have a majority of federal seats and still hold to the more conservative side of the Menzian marriage. Peter Dutton's appearance on Insiders Today was an absolute train wreck. Absolute train wreck. He took responsibility but refused to say what the problem was. He said that Labor simply campaigns better and harder and more negatively than they do. Peter Dutton suggesting that someone campaigns more negatively than he does? Again, this is a man who wanted to stop people in the street and check their ID papers. This is a man who, during that same interview, said that there was a real and genuine threat of gas shortages in Australia. Australia being the world's largest exporter of liquid natural gas. They're desperate. They're desperate. They have decided to ignore the issues that matter to people. Raf Epstein made this point on the panel that he can get lots of people ringing up about trans people in sport or trans people in bathrooms, but that's not the biggest issue that plays out in communities. That in actual fact, the big issues are around cost of living. They are around wages. They are around how do I access the NDIS? How do I get the support that I need to navigate these systems? How do I access aged care? I've got aging parents at one end, young children at the other, and I'm trying to juggle both of those systems at the same time as holding down enough work in an increasingly precarious employment market and my wages are going backwards. That's people's lived reality. That's what people care about. That's what people want government to do. So when Albo and Mary Doyle go knocking on doors saying, we're making childcare cheaper, we're supporting a rate, an increase in the minimum wage, we're bringing manufacturing back to Australia through our fund, we're trying to pass a bill to increase housing supply, but the Liberals are opposing us with the Greens, what do you think that does? It actually talks to the issues that matter to people. It's the same reason why our podcast is successful. Because we tell people, we tell people that we understand. We listen to what's actually going on. We don't pretend that the majority of people live in the same fantasy world 
that members of the media and the political class can afford to occupy. And quite frankly, it was so disgusting to hear the spokesperson for the boss's pamphlet, Phil Curry, use his final thoughts on insiders this morning to take another swing, to take another swing at the NDIS. You know, it just boils my blood. The Liberals have opposed the NDIS from the start. They didn't want it. They undermined it. They wanted a free marketeer nightmare. Well, they that's what they implemented. They deregulated. They put in a tenth of the staff that was needed. And they allowed the cowboys and criminals access to the system. Now, I'm not talking here about participants. I'm talking about rip-off merchants, sham contractors, and actual organised crime that got involved. Same thing we saw in aged care. There's been expose after expose on this stuff. You know, I don't need to tell you, dear listener, about the reality that people face in these systems. For Phil Curry to sit there and say there's cost blowouts when what Bill Shorten and Anthony Albanese have been trying to do is fix the system that Morrison and Dutton and their government set up to fail is just disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I, for one, and I hope you and everyone listening to this show will join me in opposing opposing any moves by the Liberal opposition to scapegoat, to scapegoat people in Australia with a disability because, quite frankly, I think it's an appalling thing for Phil Curry to have said. There are problems in Australia. And yes, there are problems within the NDIS. And I've touched on some of them already. But there are also problems in education. And we saw Jason Clare announce a review. Why? Because after a decade of the Morrison government with Peter Dutton telling the same lie over and over again that there was record funding, record funding, record funding, the reality is that public schools are doing more with less and that there are some students being left behind as a result. And it doesn't have to be like that. A needs-based funding model that apparently the Liberals agreed to as well, although they never really committed to it, means that those students don't get left behind. Imagine what our public schools could do if they had the resources they actually need. They're already doing so much for so many. Millions of families, millions of students right around the country. We know in aged care, we know in healthcare, these are all fundamental parts of what Australians have come to expect our governments to deliver. Dutton doesn't want to talk about those things. Doesn't want to talk about them. Instead, he wants to call a small reduction in the tax concession for the wealthiest account holders in superannuation. He wants to call that socialism. He wants to somehow or another resurrect the spectre of Stalin and Brezhnev. 
because we're going to make millionaires pay slightly more tax. One of his front bench called the safeguard mechanism a decapitation of our economy. And in fact, Dutton himself on Insiders Today said that business leaders are lying to the public about the impacts of Labor's policies because they are afraid of the social media backlash. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there are business leaders lying to the Australian public, not because they are afraid of uh, the public backlash when it comes to things like emissions reduction, but because they fundamentally lie about the impact of wage increases. They lie about employment. They lie about employment conditions. In fact, history shows that to be the case. What they don't tend to do is support government policy that will decrease their profitability. So when Peter Dutton comes out and says, oh no, the cement industry is lying about the impact on profitability of the Labor government's policy. And believe me, even though I wasn't in the room, even though they won't publicly agree with me, but believe me when I tell you that they're lying about their profitability, I find that very hard to believe. I find it very hard to believe because consistently in this country and, in fact, right across the English-speaking world, corporate executives have lied to the public, but not about not about supporting government policies that would make them less profitable, but about attacking government policies that would make them less profitable. They have consistently attacked Labor for supporting wage increases. They have consistently attacked Labor for supporting more rights for working people. They have consistently (laughs) said that, in fact, All one needs to do is look at the media narrative during the last federal election to see what the billionaire-owned media thinks about government policies that undermine their profitability or, to put it another way, give workers their fair share of what they produce in the form of wage rises, job security and rights at work. That's what they think. They're not going to come out and support a government policy that's going to destroy their own industry, Peter. They've never done it before. Why would they start doing it now? I mean, Peter Dutton is a poor leader. There's no question about that. The Liberals do have this greater existential crisis, which I've already talked about, but Peter Dutton himself is clearly not going to lead them through it. I mean, he was caught out on Insiders Today saying things that are simply unprovable, that somehow or another he was privy to the Solicitor General's advice uh, and the Solicitor General's briefing in a room that he wasn't in, that he wasn't in. He directly tried to contradict what Mark Dreyfus had said last week on Insiders about the Solicitor General's advice, and eventually David Spears caught him out and he had to admit In fact, he wasn't in the room when the Solicitor General gave that advice. But, you know, his his understanding is that the government is not telling the truth. This is just, it's more petty politics. 
and Tony from Redbridge said last night in the coverage, when they do focus groups now, what people say when they're asked, how do you feel about the Liberal Party? What do you associate the Liberal Party with? People call it the nasty party. It's just the party of nastiness. And increasingly that's true, and we're going to see that. I'm sad to say, and I know this has been a long weekend wrap, but I'm sad to say that we're going to see more of it. Dutton has positioned the Liberal Party to run a no campaign. David Spears said on Insiders Today, almost as a throwaway comment, that he understands there will be no conscience vote in the Liberal Party on the voice, on the referendum, and in fact, they will vote no. That is appalling. It is absolutely appalling. And they will run a nasty campaign. Peter Dutton has run nasty campaigns his entire political life. The thing that's changed since Peter Dutton was a wee lad is that there is no more Soviet Union. The existential threat is climate change. It's not China. It's not the Middle East. It's climate change. And all of the things that are associated with that, the need for a just transition, to reduce emissions, to move to an electrified economy, a renewable energy, to become a renewable energy powerhouse, all of these things are tied up in that existential challenge. The internal challenges, people have woken up. People don't want a barrister from Brunswick telling them what to do in Roeville. They want Mary Doyle. They want the single mum who's worked hard her entire life, who's scraped and saved, who's put in the foot leather, who's knocked on the doors and talked about how improvements to early childhood education would impact her, her family, your family, how improvements to TAFE would impact your family, how lifting minimum wages could lift wages across the economy. That's what people want. And Peter Dutton and his noalition are going to keep saying no, and they're going to say no all the way through to the end of the referendum. And it's sad. You know, the Liberal Party once stood for something, but the world has changed, and it hasn't. Or if it has... It's changed for the worse. And the likes of John Pesuto, Josh Frydenberg, and their small liberal leaders of Malcolm Turnbull, they're gone. They lead or are part of an angry conservative rump. They're not going away. They'll still be conservatives. They may still wear the liberal brand. But their ability to govern, their ability to build enough of a vote to win governments, I think, is fundamentally over. And I hope that when the long history of Australia's democracy is written in the future, the Menzian experiment will be just a small window 
in a long, prosperous democratic Commonwealth of Australia and the Labor Party will be seen as the natural party of government because it is the party of the people, the working people of this country, a party that puts the needs of people ahead of the needs of corporations, a party that understands the changing nature of external threats and adapts and modifies and builds policies to deal with them. Of course, who knows what will come in the future, but I hope that Labor continues to do exactly that going forward. This has been a long weekend wrap because it's been such a momentous, such a momentous thing to have happened. You know, I worked with Mary Doyle for a long time. I have a lot of respect for her. I think she's going to be a great member for Aston. I think she's going to be a great addition to the caucus. And I'll just say this. The people of Aston, the former Blue Ribbon Liberal safe seat, have elected a single mum, a feminist, a trade unionist who worked in superannuation, who's campaigned on more affordable housing, better access to childcare, more local jobs, and increasing minimum wages. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal result. Mary, we couldn't be prouder of you. To everyone listening, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to each other, and vote yes at the referendum.